If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and then, in the next place, oblige it to control itself. If the Me Too moment that's become a movement has taught us anything, it's not that all men are secretly predators, or even that society latently embraces rape. It's rather that monsters aren't strangers lurking in the streets. They're the con artists who have subverted John Madison's attempt to reconcile the paradox of human nature with human reason. They're the monsters who don't just walk among us, but have protected themselves so well by station, by entourage, and through the sheer threat of power. When Michelle Manning Barish, the ex-girlfriend who survived brutality and horror at the hands of New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, noted that jaywalking was against the law, Schneiderman replied, I am the law. Monsters have governed men for long enough. Today, at least for one monster, his time is up. I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. This is the political pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. As we take inventory of yet another head to fall at the hands of the New Yorker, you'll need it. everyone and welcome back to the podcast this week. Today we are drinking Harvey Wallbangers as given the course of today's events, Harvey Weinstein and Eric Schneiderman are, I guess, becoming more and more alike. Uh, and we're also sorry for the delay in us, I guess, releasing a Monday night slash Tuesday morning podcast rather than our typical Friday scheduled procedure as we have been in the midst of finals. Hey, but with a week like this, you're going to need a pregame early. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think all of us need a drink at this point. But anyways, this Eric Schneiderman news has been kind of breaking as we speak. I know that Tiana and I, when we were plotting out our podcast for this evening, there was the more recent news that he has now decided to resign as Attorney General of New York. Tiana, how about you take us through the story and give everyone a background as I know it's developing. So the prince who torched the tower, Ronan Farrow, has another story that is wild, um, truly horrifying read, also co-written with Jane Mayer, the... Uh, extraordinary New Yorker reporter who obviously I do not totally get along with politically, but she is she is she's an excellent reporter, um, and really has a way of uh, you know taking people down when need be. So the piece that broke today found that Eric Schneiderman, who has been the, the Attorney General of New York for I think the la- at least the last five years, um, and in the New York State Senate for yeah a while. ten years before that, um, he's posed him he is sort of framed himself as the king of the resistance, um, openly has been, he, he was working with special counsel Robert, Robert Mueller for a while. Uh, this, this drew some flack in more conservative circles. Um, very openly oppositional to Donald Trump. And there are a lot of things we could say about him politically. For background, I mean, this is someone who is very openly and aggressively left-wing, um, he has been consistent and persistent about opening various investigations into Trump because the idea is that Donald Trump is capable of giving people immunity for federal crimes. He cannot do so for state crimes. So Schneiderman was essentially trying to trap sort of Trump's minions into those things. And admittedly, Trump surrounds himself with people who have been very legally, uh, you know, compromised. Yeah, compromised. Uh, So, I mean, Trump, it's not like he didn't make it easy for them. But uh, but the point is, this is he was working with a pretty obvious modus operandi. 
Schneiderman let the Clinton Foundation skip identifying foreign donors, which basically meant that people could have been pay-for-playing with Hillary Clinton before she was running for president. Um, he he refused to recuse himself from um, from investigating Trump, even though it became pretty clear that while all attorney generals are, are political beings, and I'm sure that you can find other conservative or Republican attorney generals across the country who have extended the bounds of their power. Uh, this is not about the fact that he's liberal. It's about this is someone who's, po- who's framed himself as he is the resistance to the danger of Donald Trump. He is supposed to be the one who's marching in the streets with the women, wearing the pussy hats, defending their rights, talking about how much he cares about being pro-choice, how much he loves women's bodies. Well, it turns out he loves women so much that he beats them up and chokes them into a bloody pulp. So... You have, the New Yorker today has four women who independently have accused him of, of pretty insane and extreme violence. This is no, I mean, this is no, this is no misconduct. This is no, this is no grope. This is no miss signals. This is time and time again, a pattern of psychologically and physically abusive behavior to his ex-girlfriends. Um, and I have to say uh, the New Yorker especially is really on their game. Um, I think that the way that most of these stories have broken has been, like, there's one preliminary story, and it's always some bigger outlet. You know, like, it's like, it was Jody Cantor and Megan Tui at the New York Times, and they laid down the flawless legal groundwork to make sure that they could say that this happened with Harvey Weinstein. And then later on, there are the bigger pieces that go into the, the incredibly gory and horrifying details um, this case was remarkable because, I mean, Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow came out with a full package. They came out with, with, they reviewed photographs, they reviewed letters, they spoke to friends. Doctors. Yeah, doctors. So, I mean, the allegations are, uh, terrifying, but, but basically it took four hours for the story to drop. The first major player to comment was, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who, I mean, we'll just we can get into this later, but is facing sort of a contentious re-election battle, um, and then I mean, four hours after the story dropped, uh, Schneiderman resigned. Now, here's what I noticed when I was rereading his resignation letter: he resigns effective end of the day tomorrow. Interesting. Do you think it's Shredder's just gonna like light on fire after he's done trying to remove all the evidence? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense, honestly, from a strategic point of view, that he would not do it effective immediately. I was quite surprised to hear his resignation come out now, because, I mean, for us on the West Coast right now, it's about 8.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. East Coast, I mean, they're three hours ahead of us, so this is late in the evening. And so... That part is interesting in itself, I think, as far as the heads to fall in the Me Too movement. This is just about the quickest resignation we've seen. I'm not sure if this resignation is going along the lines of, you know, some people that have resigned have said, oh, well, although these allegations are false, I'm resigning because I don't want this investigation to distract from the brilliant work my office is doing, blah, blah, blah. Or, on the other hand, it's it's a resignation because, in fact, these allegations are true. And so... You know, time will tell, I think, as a result of this. I mean, obviously, with these abusive men, it's usually, it usually does not occur to just one, two, three, four women. There may even be more that come out, yeah. as we saw with the Harvey Weinstein movement. And so it's quite frustrating. I mean, as Tiana said, 
this guy, Schneiderman, he positioned himself as the champion for women's rights, especially in the state of New York. And I think it's important to mention when talking about, you know, the potential biases that he has with uh, going after Trump aides and campaign aides with the Trump administration is that this guy was someone who was strategically aligning himself with the Clintons because he had all his eggs in the Hillary Clinton for president basket and that he thought he was going to be in the White House come the 2016 elections, and obviously it did not turn out that way. And, I mean, thank God this guy wasn't in the White House. I mean, this is... Okay, so I think the amazing thing that I was seeing lots of reporters discussing, I mean, Yashar Ali, who's one of those incredible freelancers that is a product of the digital era and that everyone should follow. He was saying he's extremely well connected. Um, He was saying that this is the first time he, today was the first time he had heard of any of these allegations. And given the fact that from a legal perspective, Eric Schneiderman had more power than anyone in the entire state. And that's the state of New York. I mean, like like one of the most politically powerful states in the union. So you just have to wonder how many people were complicit in this yet again. How many people were paid off? How many people were willing to remain silent because they didn't want to they didn't want to threaten the resistance? And I mean, what I say to that is that I mean, can you build something on lies? No. No, you cannot build houses of cards and, and expect them to stand. You know, I that much has been at any and again, I keep on thinking about this every single time one of these stories breaks, whether, whether it be Larry Nasser or Roy Moore. What's the point of protecting these people? I'm sorry, but their shit still stinks. They're not literally Steve Jobs. Like, there are very few people on Earth who are actually irreplaceable, like have some sort of crazy IQ or understanding. of. And even if they did, obviously, morality is morality and you shouldn't be okay with violent or disrespectful disrespectful behavior ever but in these cases it's just what's the point of protecting them and 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 i asked this just because cuomo in his statement didn't mention when he found out about this he didn't say i never knew and i and i found out reading the story you know de blasio came out with the most pathetic statement of all time he said or so no according to uh inside city hall the uh new york news site from um New York One, the channel, uh, they report that de Blasio said he does not think it is appropriate to comment on the bombshell Eric Schneiderman story in The New Yorker. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think one theme that came from The New Yorker piece was that uh, people have been reluctant to come forward because this was a guy who was such, you know, on paper in terms of a legal perspective and political perspective, was such a champion for women's rights. He was the guy who launched the investigation into the NYPD police filings of sexual um, misconduct and assault charges against Harvey Weinstein and tried to decipher, okay, what went wrong here? He was the guy that is trying to file or tried to file criminal um criminal charges against Weinstein for his conduct. So this was a guy that was taking down the man who was the catalyst for the Me Too movement, sorry, but yet he himself behind closed doors is just the same. Okay. And so, you know, obviously his work on paper was amazing, but at the same time, you could just as easily have another attorney general who cares about women's rights and who wants to do the right thing in that regard. And so at the end of the day, someone will step up politically, but if they're not 
only talking the, if they're only talking the talk and they're not walking the walk, then those are people that need to leave. And so that's something that's extremely frustrating. And I hope that this is watershed moment for any other people who are, you know, I guess questioning whether they should be complicit for the good of politics because this man or this person is doing great things politically and understand that someone else will fill those political shoes, but that's not okay to have this hypocritical behavior going on in office. And I mean, it, you reap what you sow and it is never, ever, ever worth it. I mean, we saw the fact that in part Hillary Clinton lost the election because she protected Bill. I mean, you, you reap what you sow. You, we've seen time and time again, people's bad behavior does get the best of them. And so just no one is worth protecting. No movement cannot stand without one person. And, okay, for, for, for the record, let's just go through a laundry list of things that are included in the story. Um, for one thing, so one of the ex-girlfriends t- discusses the fact that, okay, so the attorney general of the state of New York, so presumably a guy who works probably, like, 14-hour days, 16-hour days, gets off work, what, 8 p.m. at the earliest? Probably something closer to 10 or 11, would drink two bottles of wine, and then an unspecified amount of a bottle of scotch a night. She said five out of seven nights a week, this is this is what he was drinking. And this is not someone who was, like, day drinking in college. This is someone who was the attorney general of the state of New York. Um, also, apparently was, a pill, was apparently a pill popper. Uh, drove drunk, weaving uh, in between roads. Um... Oh, threatened to kill, I think, at least two of the girlfriends. But but he's the law. Oh, he is the law. The law is him. Allegedly, he said that he is the law yeah. in a retort to one of his ex-girlfriends that said that jaywalking was a criminal offense. He said, well, I'm the law. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and then that doesn't even include the just absolutely horrific instances of him choking, slapping his ex-girlfriends. One of them describes that she's 5'7", and says that she, in the course of the relationship, just because of his severe emotional abuse, lost 30 pounds and was 5'7", down to 103 pounds. That's insane. That's, and yeah, I mean, so... So basically, this guy, it's... And again, the reason why I bring up the complicity question is simply because if you are drinking that much in that small amount of time, getting into the physical accidents that they describe, because one one of the anecdotes in the New Yorker story is about when he severely physically injured himself because he was on just a crazy Which, by the way, I think everyone should read this. I know it's a long piece. Everyone should read this entire piece because it's extremely well-researched and detailed. Yeah. And it's like, so just the fact that there was so much, there's so many physical ramifications to him. You're telling me that no one picked up the fact that, that, again, it's not saying like, oh, he has his nightly nightcap. You're talking about someone who was repeatedly pill popping, injuring himself and other people. And no one knew, no one saw scars in his hand. No one saw scars in his face. No one saw the fact that he was hung over every single day of the week. Like, and no one questioned that. Well, I think what we'll see as a result of this story coming out is, and at what we've seen in other stories that have been similar, is we'll probably see the, the staff in his office giving stories to the Times or the Post or the New Yorker saying, I noticed he was coming in reeking of booze, X, Y, Z. I think we'll see those 
moments of complicity come forward. And I would hope so. I hope we get the... I mean, this story does a great job at giving us a very, very full depiction of his life with these women. Uh, But I think we'll even get just a greater perspective and understanding. Yeah. And I think the most important line in the entire story is um, when one of the girlfriends who I think this is one of, I think she's one of the ones who, who decided to stay nameless because as she put it, he's the most important person or she's, she's the most powerful person in the state. Why would, and why also would you all these, all these girlfriends or ex-girlfriends rather, we were very well-educated women yeah. in prominent positions. Yeah, these are all attorneys, Ivy League educated active. lawyers. Yeah. Um, and so these are women who, you know, their careers are at stake for coming forward yeah. and, and being tied to this. And so I think that even gives greater weight and merit to their statements and to the details that they provided. And so then, so the the, the line here, what, what Pharaoh and, my, and Mayor report, uh, after the former girlfriend ended the relationship, she told several friends about the abuse. A number of them advised her to keep the story to herself, arguing that Schneiderman was too valuable a politician for the Democrats to lose. I mean, thing A, ladies and gents alike, if, 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 if you come to your friend and you describe a serious personal ill and their first response isn't how are you, but rather how do we protect whatever movement is in vogue of the day, they are not your friends. Abandon ship now. Thing two, again, how deep did this go? So people knew about this. It's not like... I mean, as you pointed out, these were all people who were moderately politically active, educated, like, well-socialized, like, young women. Young meaning 40s. Yeah, I mean, yeah, young relatively. Schneiderman's 63. So, um, but, but, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, so you're telling me that they told people and no one asked any further questions? No one, no one thought, like huh, maybe I should, like, pursue this line of questioning and, like, make sure that, like, my friend is okay. Or was it all about protecting the prince? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, that's one way that you could take it, but the other way is he is arguably, in a certain sense, the most powerful man in New York. And so who do you go to, right? If What, do you go to the police? Well, at the end of the day... He's basically the police's boss. And so... Good he, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, the so Attorney General of the United States. He, he rules that whole entire structure and arm of the government. And so the one structure that is supposed to protect you is being controlled by the monster that's actually done this behavior to you. And so it just I think it puts these women in a very awful predicament in that I don't necessarily think it's a result of being complicit, it's also a result of the system being controlled by the, the menace. Yeah. And so that's something that played a huge factor into this case, into these cases, rather, and played a huge factor into these women's, I guess, like, will, un, unwillingness to be forthcoming. And so... I'm not but blaming where, them. Just where, to, just to no, I'm not blaming no, them. No, absolutely. I'm saying I the understand. people around them. No, but the people around them, what are they supposed to do, right? They're mere muggles compared to Eric Schneiderman, the attorney... Read another book! The attorney, the attorney general of New York, who's in... I'm kidding. Who's trying to, you know, align himself into a position in the White House at the time. And so I think that they were very threatened that 
anything that they said to anyone would just be silenced and their careers would be at stake and their livelihoods would be at stake. I mean, he said, if you allegedly said to these women, if you break up with me, I will kill you. If any word gets out about what I've done, i.e. the bedroom behavior, the drinking, all of this stuff, the the drugs, the Xanax rather to be uh, specific, he said that I know people, I will have you followed, I will kill you. And so yeah. those are very, it's, those aren't just threats from a regular guy who works down the street. Those yeah. are threats from yeah. the Attorney General of New York who definitely knows people. I think pe- they would take that very seriously. And yeah. so that's just a whole other factor that yeah. played into this that is just extremely scary yeah. and terrifying. And there are two things that have emerged sort of as trends. So one is really scary and upsetting, and I don't know if there's an obvious solution or way to reconcile it. So that is the notion of this sort of domestic surveillance. Rose McGowan described it when she was being followed by black cube agents at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. Um, Nate Parker, the filmmaker who was up and coming for a moment, but then it came out that he basically, I'm sorry, allegedly raped a woman and then she later killed herself. Uh, He had her followed by private investigators. You have... These women were constantly under the threat of surveillance. And obviously, these are very extreme cases because these are people with more power than the average civilian. But the fact that that we are... I don't want to say we're entering an Orwellian phase because obviously that's not true. But... But, and I'm not going to, I swear I'm not going to get too much on a tangent about this because this could be an entirely different conversation. But we're getting to the point where the Golden State Killer was tracked using a family member's DNA submitted to a 23andMe type, type system. We're getting to the point where, where it's becoming increasingly likely that anyone who runs for public office will have their sexual past, consensual or no, be used against them. I and mean, we already saw this. It was when um, Christine O'Donnell had... She hooked up with some guy on Halloween, and they didn't even have sex. And Gawker wrote an article about it in detail, describing like how she hooked up with people. And like I think even to an extent. And again, it's very difficult to. And I'm well. I'm sure we're going to get into this later. It's difficult to be sympathetic to Trump because of how public Trump is. But the fact that he and Stormy Daniels allegedly or did they just did have a one night stand. It does not seem like there was any abuse of power. But even that's entering public domain. This will. How much is there a culture of surveillance where even things that are not illegal or not criminal or not even bad will be used against people? You know, like the idea that 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 Schneiderman said he could wiretap these girls' phone. I'm sorry, not these girls, these women's phones. So that's thing one, and I don't have a good answer to that. Thing two, the way out of this is extending a hand to people. You see... The only way the story came to be, I mean, it seems like basically on accident. It looked like it was like the one of the girlfriends reached, told the one other staff worker for the New Yorker. Who was her then, friend. Yeah, and then slow trickle, it worked out where, where the two ex-girlfriends finally got to talking. And it this will never work. Me too will mean nothing. And it will, and it will literally just be... People at HuffPo talking about how they aren't having the right kind of sex unless if people actually take a concerted effort to make this about justice and to make this about changing something for better. So, I mean, that's, I guess, like, the good thing. Like, the fact that this is this is the way all these stories are working, you know? Like, the Roy Moore story would not have worked 
if it were not women reaching out to each other. This story would not have worked if it were not women reaching out to each other. Well, the interesting thing that you brought up in your first point about the surveillance and how your sexual history, if you are someone in politics or someone in high power or prominence, is kind of displayed and used against you, even if it was consensual sex at the time and there was nothing wrong about it. And I think the irony here is that arguably the consensual sex histories are portrayed quite easily and tried to use in a combative manner rather than these stories that really do need to be out there and these stories of sexual assault or abuse or relationship violence. These are the ones that people are unwilling to come forward with because of all the ramifications, because of the threat of their own safety and security from these powerful men. And so it's interesting that, you know, the docile stories of consensual sex are weaponized and broadcasted yet the ones that really do need to be broadcasted are the ones that are so difficult to come forward with yeah and i and i know we're gonna get into this when we discuss stormy daniels at the end so i guess before we get ahead of ourselves, we should probably just i mean just as a final note you should really read this piece one of the things that i want to just just my final thought about this and i guess i want to end with something really light and milk toast because uh it's, this is very dark and depressing. I love the way that every time I read a Ronan Farrow piece about these extremely difficult to report on things, you know, because like you don't have women who are clamoring to say, I want to describe in detail what this person did to me and how they violated me. You have such a clear sense of what information has been vetted, has been seen, and it makes it so that way, I mean, these. I feel like, it's it's such a good model for reporting on something as complicated as as abuse or assault. Absolutely. And um, that's just something, I mean, I think all journalists should take note of just how clear it is. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. Cause, it's I mean, exceptional journalism. Yeah. And, I, and I wish that for things even other than sexual assault, yeah, like I wish that things were, people were reported clear. on in yeah. this manner because you really have a sense of, what as, fact as the what reader, you can really choose... The facts are completely presented to you, and you can choose to believe the other things that are written in between yeah. the lines, or you can choose not to believe them. Yeah. And so it's just phenomenal. And, and in no way can this piece ever be considered fake news. Yeah, yeah there's nothing in there that can be misconstrued. None of it presents a bias. It all just says, these are the facts, this is how we got them, X, Y, and Z. It's brilliant. It's so transparent. And it was... It was um, great to be able to read something as difficult as this in that way and that, that's yeah. why I think everyone should read this especially everyone in journalism obviously should but yeah. um just the average person should as well yeah okay so I mean let's 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 move on to I mean everything is going to get less depressing than this but not by much just fair warning okay so let's talk about Melania okay so Melania Trump our first lady uh, who inexplicably speaks six languages, right? I think it's six. Uh, I'm not sure. It's 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 English, French, Italian, Serbian, Slovenian, and German. Yeah, six. Okay. So, so Melania's popularity, this is according to CNN, as in Trump's favorite news channel. CNN reports that Melania's popularity has soared by 10% from 47% in January to 57% in May. That's extraordinary. So, Melania's been in the news a lot more recently. 
And in large part has to do with the fact that she spent the first six months of Trump's presidency still living in New York so Barron could finish uh, his year in school. She came back out here. Melania has always had a reputation for being a notoriously private person, even when she was a young model trying to make it out in America, um, and has recently sort of come into her own. And on I, her own, <laughs> on her, on her own. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's so there's always, I think there's just so much mythology with Melania and just a lot of it has to do with the fact that, and again, I don't want to be accused of like objectifying her or being like sexist or something, but a lot of it has to do with, with, with the physicality that she presents. And, and I don't say this in a negative way. I think it's, it's in the same way. Like, I know there's so many comparisons to Melania in her outfit that she wore next to the Macrons, the all-weight outfit with the hat, comparing her to Beyonce. But in a way, they both use their physicality to great effect in terms of presenting a certain image. And I just think it's funny that where, where Trump clearly is so... Um, I would say Trump gets ahead of himself. Melania is so... Stoic is the wrong word. There's sort of like this like Poised? Quiet, there is this poise. There's this quiet interest. There is this thoughtfulness. And I think that that really comes across. And I think that that's the reason why you have so many memes made about her. And the way you never, you never see memes about Ivanka Trump. And, like, I'm sure Ivanka Trump in real life is, like, a perfectly nice woman. Like, I, I disagree with her on, like, a lot of her policy. And, quite frankly, I don't know how appropriate it is to have someone with her background as high up in the White House as she is. But, again, benefit of the doubt, I've heard nothing mean about Ivanka. But you don't see people turning Ivanka into a meme. Like, the best you can get is, like, is like a dad joke. You know, like, Ivanka Trump. Like, Ivanka Trump is really just there. Melania Trump has sort of... Uh, become her own icon, which I think is interesting. And I think that it's sort of reflected in, like, in just how much mythology is, like, applied to her. Like, it was two weekends ago when she was at Barbara Bush's funeral in Texas, and there was that iconic photo of her with both Clintons, uh, Laura and W, George H.W., and both of the Obamas. And we're like, Melania's never been happier (laughs) (laughs) at a funeral with... A bunch of Democrats I mean, by herself. Okay, I mean, she did manage to make Barack Obama, who her husband spent a solid, what, like two years bullying and accusing of being born in Kenya? even still... Laugh. She made him laugh. He still bullies him to the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, so, okay, so th- this is not just like a like, like rip on Trump, like praise Melania session. Like, I, I, I guess I just want to start off with this as a, as a launching pad because now there are just so many stories coming out. So there's there there was a big Washington Post report about sort of it was somewhat speculative, but in all fairness, like I think like the way that like the Post wrote it, they made it they 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 did source her friends a lot, just like refuting some of the like um, like unattributed claims. But they make it seem as though the Post report sort of alleges that Melania lives in a different bedroom. She since the Stormy Daniel allegations have unfolded has spent as much time apart from his him as possible. And then friends of the Trumps, they refute this within the piece, and they say, like, this just simply isn't true. Um, but in a weird way, it doesn't paint her as a pathetic figure. And I think the, the funny, maybe this, I don't know if it has to do with her, or if it has to do with Trump, or if it has to do with just, like, the era that, like, we live in, in that there's almost something sort of interesting in watching her come into her own as, like, a first lady. Well, I think it, it paints her as an individual and someone that is deserving of far more respect than I think people 
anticipated her garnering because she has really risen on her own. It's not the typical first lady that you see supporting all of her husband's policies. Yeah. It's the it's usually the first lady is on the same page as her husband on everything, supports him, gives statements to the media in, in support of him and his decision making. But here you see Melania. I mean, in the piece, it even says that Melania was advised basically to champion any issue other than cyberbullying just because of... You know, you can see the kind of hypocrisy there, like the the opposite, <laughs> the obvious contrast, the obvious contrast there between, you know, Trump's wife wanting to champion cyberbullying and Trump himself being a cyberbully on Twitter, and so she still refused to back down, and that's still she chooses for that still to be her most prominent issue that she wants to champion. And so I think what's been admirable is seeing her not just fall into cahoots with her husband, but really standing up for her own values in her own way. She's not someone that's going to hold big press conferences all the time, but she's someone through her silence, through her poise is really speaking far louder with her actions rather than words. And I think that's far more powerful. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Brigitte Macron to a French outlet after they came back from the States. So the interesting thing is that Melania, so for the, for the state dinner with uh, the French president and his wife, Melania apparently designed the entire thing. So rather than hiring outside like party planners or relying on, other people to sort of like design the event she chose everything which is i mean honestly i guess it, it, it like there there are multiple different kinds of first ladies that is a worthy one i think worth being you know someone who like does focus on the optics of the white house because optics of the white house do matter especially when you're when you're bringing in our historical allies um so i just think it's interesting because brigitte macron uh was just saying how how she could never imagine like not being able to step outside of the elysee in in Paris and just walk outside and she's like Melania is a prisoner in her own home that was like the rough translation but like it's softer like it wasn't like as it wasn't that wasn't the context of it um she just gave it to like some like tabloid I think um but she was saying like in private like she's like a very like like emotive interesting person Ugh, if those walls could talk I would just love to know um but be best her first lady initiative came out today in short because there isn't too much to talk about because honestly first ladies are not supposed to choose something that's deeply political they're supposed to choose something that is accessible bipartisan that they can get just a lot of public interest behind so be best is her initiative and it tackles opioid abuse in youth populations cyberbullying for teens and young and children and mental health in children um I think that's kind of us up for all of us to decide if if she uh, is being extremely benevolent or if she's being an extremely witty troll. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just really admire the fact that regardless of what her husband is doing and regardless of his policy or his rhetoric, that she is deciding to stand for what she believes in. And so... You know, you see all these trolls on the internet really vilifying Melania, or at least in the past they would because they would say, especially the trolls from the left, they would say she's been complicit, Melania deserves any unhappiness that she has because, you know, there's obviously all the memes of Melania never smiling and all of the accusations and the gossip and the rumors that say she must be so unhappy in that marriage, blah, blah, blah. But I think that... (coughs) People shouldn't be quick to vilify Melania, and they shouldn't have been quick to vilify Melania on her complicit nature, because really, I'm sure 
from her own husband, she's gotten a lot of flack for the cyberbullying yeah. comments. And when she met with many leaders from, you know, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, about cyberbullying, she really did address the elephant in the room and saying, look, I know that this is a contentious issue yeah. given my husband's rhetoric, but this is something that I think needs to be changed. And so she understands that. And she understands the political risks of that, yet she's still continuing to move forward. So I think anyone who says Melania is getting what's coming to her with this unhappy marriage, I think that's just extremely rude. Yeah, and it's just not productive. I don't know. I mean, again, I think to an extent because of because of the because of the crazy political whiplash that that the Obama administration represented to the right, I do think that to an extent, like people crossed lines. People said things that were really, really, really awful about the first family. Stuff that was so inappropriate. Um, and I think it's a lot better because, you know, especially now when people compare Bill Clinton to Donald Trump. I'll, I'll hear it all the time on Twitter, all of people commenting on my stuff. Well, where were you when Bill Clinton was doing this? I'm like, well, I was two. So, or was I two? Because what, Lewinsky was like, what? Yeah, 97? Yes, I was too. So, I mean, like, I wasn't really, like... You weren't tweeting I wasn't then? saying anything. <laughs> um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, with younger generations modifying and improving upon the opinions of the people that they've learned from. You know? Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with, with people of my age recognizing that a lot of what people said about Michelle Obama was inappropriate back then and that there's no reason for us to replicate that with Melania Trump. Just because we weren't super politically active when we were 12, you know? Um, but that's, I don't know. There's, I, I wish I had like a greater thesis to that, but it's its more, I just think it's interesting. Melania is sort of this, this Rorschach test of people attribute to her what they want to attribute to her. Um, and uh, I think that that has been made extremely clear with the advent of the, the Stormy Daniels story. Yes, absolutely. So Stormy Daniels, uh, she... I guess she appeared on SNL uh, this week or this past weekend uh, on their cold open and uh, for their comedy skit. And comedy, I'm using air quotes when I do that. And um, the performance definitely received a lot of heat from the media and from various people who used to work at SNL. Um, all people in between, definitely heavily from the right as kind of crossing the line by uh, having Stormy Daniels on the show. And so there, I guess, are the claims that this crossed the line. There's the one, cl- there's the one claim, why would they have a porn star on television? What am I supposed to tell my children when they see this? Okay, to refute that immediately, SNL is not a children's show. So <laughs> I don't think your children should be seeing SNL to begin with. That's just... The first point. And then there's the other point in that they're taking this very serious issue and making it into a joke. Uh, Tiana, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I know I have a lot, but... I mean, okay. Let's just... Let's just... Rather than reverse the roles and liken this to, like, Hillary Clinton or whatever, because she just comes with, like, a lot of political baggage, let's say hypothetically... Some young female, I don't know who the rising female star, like, who's younger, unlike the left is. But, like, I think someone like like Mia Love, who's uh, the young congresswoman from Utah. Or, like, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris also comes with, like, a lot of, like, political baggage. And, like, also, SF is weird. SF is weird. Everyone in SF politics has hooked up with everyone. I'm thinking someone who, who led an extremely private, normal life. If someone came out with, if some man came out with a story about 
about having a one night stand with with a female with with who would later become a politician, a woman who would later become a politician at the time was just a private citizen. They had a totally consensual one night stand, nothing abusive or weird. And if they were going on CNN and having their attorney go on CNN night after night after night describing did they use a condom? What positions? All these like extremely personal things would would we all not be extremely creeped out? Because I, I remember when Gawker came out with the Christine O'Donnell story, and everyone was, and that was not that big of a, that was not as big of a deal, because Christina O'Donnell was obviously, she was a little more on the wacky end of the Tea Party spectrum, she wound up not winning that race, she was just running for a Senate position, it was on Gawker, it wasn't on, it's not like it was on CNN or Fox News, but... But if the media had embraced that story, and if they did have this guy on TV bragging about all of these, like, intimate details, we would be rightfully creeped out. And I understand why the Stormy Daniels case matters as it relates to Michael Cohn, and I do think that that they should continue to investigate it. If Michael Cohn engaged in criminal activities, he should be punished. I understand why it matters if... As, as it pertains to just Trump's general legal situation, why it's a matter of legal interest. But just the pure salaciousness of... It wasn't like she was on screen saying, look, I'm deeply concerned because I have a feeling that he was paying off multiple women yeah. or the women who allege that he sexually assaulted him, which, again, we'll get to, but that is what, to me, that's the only thing I care about when it comes to Trump's sex life. Um, but outside of that, she's just being... It's just rude. Like, and, and I can't, like, I cannot believe that she's making me defend Trump right now about this because, I mean, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly Trump's biggest defender, but, but this is not, to me, and, and it's really difficult to feel sympathetic about this, like, emotionally just because Trump is someone whose sex life has already been discussed on the cover of the New York Post or whatever, but this level of, like, obsession is creepy and weird. Yeah, no, I, I don't like it. I, I completely agree with you there, and, but... I do not think that blame or at least the brunt of the blame should be placed on SNL because of course SNL is going to shoot their shot. They are going, they're out there trying to get ratings just like any other, any other place. And people are saying, you know, there's the whole thing. Well, before SNL used to be kind of more bipartisan. Now they're going full liberal. Yeah. You know what? Shows Shows and they make a choice and they, you know, change their messaging over time. I'm sure even the information that Fox News is putting out and the shows that they're putting on and the topics that they're pushing are far different now than they were 10 years ago. So, you know, that stuff's all relative, but I don't think this is on SNL because I think SNL obviously would jump at this opportunity to have her on if she agreed to or if she sought them out herself to be on the show because, I mean, look, the video came out what, last night after they recorded, and it already has 5 million views on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it clearly and, gets views. But who this is on, and I think who this is solely on, is Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, because, you know, it just goes to really discredit her if she wasn't discredited already in terms of her motives and intentions. I yeah. know she's saying the exact opposite of why she came out, but, you know, she was someone who agreed to the terms of an agreement to accept a payment, and then still came forward regardless of a non-disclosure agreement and came forward with all of these and and her motives for coming forward were all of these earnest ones that she stated online and through various interviews yet she's making a joke of her own situation on a comedy show and I just really don't think there's a place for that. This is a serious investigation that is now going into campaign finance laws and Michael Cohen and the Trump campaign and 
if you're making a joke about this, then really, are you just making a joke about you coming forward to begin with? And I mean, now that the information's out there, obviously it's important to pursue the legal actions and the legal implications that may exist. But for her coming forward to begin with, it's really like, was this just, yeah. was this just a stunt to gain popularity again? And that's what's super frustrating. I mean, yeah, the skit itself, I thought, yeah, okay, it's funny. It goes along the lines of like what SNL usually does, except for the fact that they had her in it. But I don't think her being on there was funny because I think, you know, what she's brought forth has resulted in some very serious legal investigations, and this isn't something to be made a joke about. Yeah, I just think it's funny. All, like, these, like, all these staid baby boomer button-up I'm a safe due process liberal, like, faux feminists that were absolutely destroying the woman, the anonymous woman, Grace, who came out with the Aziz Ansari allegations back in January. Absolutely destroying a woman who was describing feeling physically threatened, feeling extremely, like, disrespected. Yes, we've said those are important stories to tell. So, so the same people, the same people who think that's extremely inappropriate, that's bad, that's wrong, don't come after, uh, don't come after this nice comedian that we all like because he's also a person of color and because we don't want to disrupt the narrative. Same people who also love talking about Stormy Daniels, who also love, like, like, you're telling me that's, again, I think if someone has, like, if someone has made you feel physically or severely, like, threatened in some way... I think it's fair game. Like, there's there's obviously, like, a, a, I think that there's an abundantly clear line when it's in the public's interest to know that someone is dangerous or predatory. This is not one of those cases. They had a consensual one-night stand, and I'm confused if she's the, vic- she's the victim here because she got $130,000. Yeah, and I think what's important to know about feminism and the feminist movement, it's not just girl power regardless of what you stand for and regardless of who you are as long as a woman girl power and I'm going to have this blind support of you Stormy Daniels coming forward was not a feminist moment it was not at all Rose McGowan coming forward all of these other women coming forward the Inziz Zari story the story that broke today against Eric Schneiderman and those women who have come forward that's the feminist moment because their intentions have been to stop this abusive cycle and this these power structures that are in place in Hollywood, Washington, amongst any high up executive and in any prominent situation, because these were women who were taken advantage of. That's a feminist moment. And those are the people that you need to get behind as a feminist. I don't care if you're a man or woman. Those are the people we need to rally behind. But Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, coming forward with her story. That's not a feminist moment. And so for people to not question her intentions and question, well, should you really be going on a comedy show and making a joke of this situation that has placed a lot of faith in American government to a degree in question, or I guess in terms of political election law and campaign finance laws in question, is that something to joke about? And should we support you just because you're a woman? No, you have to understand that you can separate the two things and that her actions are still condemnable. Yeah, and it just... it The fastest way to... In especially, like, gonzo-annoying activist college journalism, the fastest way to discredit 
your opponent's story is just make it seem like your sources have some sort of interest in it, you know? And that's the way that you get, like, like rape deniers and Me Too truthers. You make it seem like women are just being opportunists, like they're just trying to get money out of it. I honestly this think does this not is- benefit... This does not stormy every time stormy Daniel. I mean, not only I mean you're the Democrats. I mean, like it, she, this is hurting. This is hurting your cause more than mine. But as as a woman, this is hurting our cause. It is because anytime a woman comes forward with a very truthful accusation or an allegation and a warranted one, one and, that's worth yeah, a truthful being of a and warranted interest. accusation, those that are trying to combat that are going to look at this Stormy, Stormy Daniels situation as a model for, you know, an accusation that had no merit. And so it's extremely frustrating because a lot of people have seen this footage, obviously, of the SNL skit and are seeing this to be a joke. This isn't a joke. And honestly, if your sexual history is consensual, then I don't think there's any need for it to be broadcasted. If something happened and it needs to be talked about and it needs to be brought forward because it's something that should never happen to any other woman that this man is ever with again, then of course I want those stories to come out. I think all of us do, but consensual sex, we don't need to be broadcasting this on nightly television. And so I just really hope moving forward that this doesn't distract from the Me Too movement and it doesn't hurt women who do come forward in the future with very real and truthful allegations. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's Monday or for some of you guys, it'll be Tuesday when you listen to this. Um, we will see you not on Friday because I graduate. Um, <laughs> that's weird. Um, but we'll see you shortly after that. So, uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Tiana the first at Avery Hogarth our website, thepoliticalpregame.com, and listen to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Thank you, guys. Bye.